Hello, and thanks for listening. I'm Justin Wiley with the Pool and Hot Tub Alliance, and I'm here speaking with Alex Bosenberg, Director of Regulatory Affairs for the National Electrical Manufacturers Association, about minimum energy efficiency performance standards affecting NEMA member products in North America. As of this recording, Alex has been with NEMA for 14 years, 12 of those in government relations working on this and similar areas. Hey, Alex, what are we going to uh, talk about today? Well, thank you, Justin. Uh, Today, we'll discuss the U.S. Department of Energy and their process for conducting rulemakings uh, for test procedures and the minimum energy conservation standards you mentioned for uh, their long list of covered products. This is something uh, we've been working a lot on in the last couple of years. and trying to update things. And for those who have been seeing our notices, it's what we refer to as the process improvement rule. Interesting. So what exactly is the process improvement rule? Well, they call it a rule, but really it's just guidance. uh, And it dates back to the early 1990s. Hmm. And then uh, what happened? Well, back then, the DOE had long been tasked by Congress uh, in the years prior to establish energy conservation standards for a variety of products, but they really hadn't made much of any process, uh, progress rather. And uh, energy efficiency advocates and industry were wanting them to get, uh, get this done. And so for that, they really needed to improve their process. So the process was improved, but how was it improved? Well, it was improved to some extent. Uh, a rulemaking was conducted to establish a, uh, and I'll get all technical here, a new Appendix A to Subpart C of Part 430 of the 10th Code of Federal Regulations, and it was titled Procedures, Interpretations, and Policies for Consideration of New or Revised Energy Conservation Standards for Consumer Products. And what that really was was a list of guidelines for the DOE to follow, but it wasn't a legal obligation. Hmm. So going back to kind of what you mentioned, technical, what is Part 430 and uh, why an appendix? Well, uh, Part 430 is a subsection of the Title 10 of the U.S. Code of Federal Regulations, or CFR, we call it. And uh, all energy conservation standards and test procedures for consumer products, like your average residential product, are contained in Part 430. So just consumer products like household products, but not commercial products? That's right. Uh, Even though that appendix is attached well and so getting to the process rule this appendix is attached to the consumer product section but doe uses that same process for commercial products which incidentally is part 431 so it's right next door (laughs) in the statute but in the past few years we or others i guess uh, thought the process rule needed to be improved well yeah an update or an upgrade to their process has been badly needed for about I'll say the past 10 years. Um DOE has over time sort of reinterpreted and reexamined and and just recycled the process uh that was established in 1996 and and so really at that point they're sort of been doing whatever they want. And because of that, industry and other stakeholders really had no idea what was going to happen or when, you know, what the sequence was and what our, if you want to call it, our rights were in the process. Hmm. So DOE updated the process rule recently to to help out the manufacturers? Uh, In a way. um, They began a rulemaking back in 2017 to review the process, and really that was because they wanted to head off congressional action. NEMA and some allied trades had been campaigning for years to improve the process rule. And we were starting to get traction on legislation to make changes, you know, as we wanted them legislatively. And um, because the Congress, uh, you know, they they might have not copied exactly the way we said it or <laughs> or, or 
or regardless of that, the DOE wanted more of a hand in what was going to happen to them. So they started a rulemaking using uh, their authority about Part 430 because they're, they're allowed to modify it. They own it. So they did it that way. So let me get this straight. Uh, a rulemaking about rulemakings? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and it began in December 2017 and it concluded uh, its first round in February 2020. So was the rulemaking outcome favorable to industry partners? Well, yes and no. Um, it, there's several things we liked. Um, we wanted the requirements to be mandatory um, and uh, a very discreet amount of energy savings to be defined as significant. That, that word's in air quotes because <laughs> it's it's part of a a lawsuit from many many years ago, and the only the closest definition we had was non-trivial, and that meant that the department could be doing some pretty deep dives into marginal savings. But um, some other things, since your question was, you know, what was fixed or what did we like? Uh, we we were, had been very insistent that test procedures would be finalized, a final rule for test procedures before any new or amended standards would be proposed. That's a proposed rule for standards, not a final. Mm -hmm. And things like that. Um, now, as I said, uh, unfortunately, it didn't turn out the way we wanted because the February 2020 final rule was challenged in court by some other entities and the DOE re agreed to reconsider the contents. Uh, and um, so they began another rulemaking. Hmm. So how did that one turn out? Well, not not as well as we'd hoped, and as you know, anybody listening might have expected from the way I delivered that. <laughs> um, the uh, you know part of the downside of letting the department revise the process rule with their own authority it meant that they could revise it any time they pleased. We didn't think it would be a few months later, but it was. Um, and the uh, what really uh, happened is uh, a couple of different things. They they made a bunch of changes, and then also I think the most unfortunate thing was this was while the DOE was trying to undo their backlog of up standards and test procedures that hadn't been updated, and meanwhile no one knew what the exact process was, and it uh, it it was a big long pause uh, in terms of rulemakings. So the new DOE revised, or I'm sorry, so that so DOE revised the work of the old DOE. Maybe, yeah, explain that. Well, it changed in administration and a change in leadership, and then the lawsuit that gave them the opportunity or an excuse to revise the process rule got us to where uh, we uh, we are today. With that rule was concluded uh, in 2021. Ah, okay. And what was the outcome? Uh, it's a mixed bag. Um, in the end, mostly what we wanted more than anything was transparency and predictability. I mentioned, you know, our, our rights, um, and uh, some of that's in there. Did um, you mentioned some of it's in there? Did did we get anything else? Uh, somewhat. I mean, everyone was in agreement, at least in industry, that we wanted test procedures finalized before energy conservation standards were proposed. Uh, so you know, knowing how we'll be tested and evaluated before we know what standard we have to meet. And that is in the draft, but um, it's not obligatory. Mm, sounds like a moving target. If you don't know how you'll be evaluated when you're commenting um, on how well you can perform. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, it sounds like a moving target. It is, unfortunately. Um, and currently with... Um, the way the department's pumping rules out at the moment, um, they're pumping test procedures and proposed standards or 
precursors to standards at the same time. So they're they're starting to drift away from the guidance already. So this has been corrected then? Well, no, I, you know, what I mean is they, they didn't correct it, uh, but they, um, we had hoped they would, in, in making the rule, uh, what's a good way to put it? No, no, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess I, I know the answer to this, but it, it, is it fixed? Well, no. Um, they kept a lot of the language from 1996. Most of the language that was new from 2020 was taken out. And now it's not obligatory, which was something we really, really wanted. We would have settled for fewer requirements, but obligatory requirements. Um, they do say that they'll inform stakeholders if they decide to deviate from the guidance, but um, we're hoping they'll do a better job of that because some of the recent rules have not included a statement like that. Mm. So what are uh, some of the other important provisions in the final rule? Well, as some of which I've already mentioned, the test procedure sequencing and outreach to the public are, are the things that matter very much to us. Maybe not the most, um, but uh, that's what w those are in there. But then um, things that had been in the 2020 rule, like a few extra steps, early stakeholder engagement, uh, faster avenues to review. You know, did this rule change? You know, has the technology changed enough to warrant? Uh, a new standard, no. Well, then it sounds like we don't need to do it. We we gave them some off ramps, and they got rid of all of those. Um, that significant quotes unquote energy savings that I mentioned was taken out, uh, and some other things like that were vacated. Mm, that sounds like some losses. Well, yeah, you can say that. Um, the DOE has made some attempt to put some. Uh, public notices for early assessment, they, they call them requests for information now. It does give us a chance to weigh in early and say, sort of answer questions, even if they don't ask them about, you know, is there a technology innovation that would, or a change in the market that the standard could be revised? No. And try to influence them uh, early at least. Hmm, say more, maybe an example. Well, um, an example of something they took out that could have been bad for us was that, uh, you know, quote, significant, unquote, energy savings. Uh, it was defined by the final rule in February 2020 as 0.3 quadrillion BTUs. And that sounds like a lot, but when you spread that out over the entire country, it's actually a fairly low number. And you're looking at a – they calculate that over an event horizon of 30 years of predicted energy savings. So it's it's very little. Um, and that can have a way to backfire. Mm. So the threshold is so low is to always guarantee rulemaking for a new standard anyway? Well, I say that it's very low, but to put it into context, 10 years ago, I was fighting uh, a revision to a rulemaking, and the only candidate standards level left was going to achieve an estimated 0.013 quads. Uh, and that actually wasn't stopped based on how tiny the number was, but it was because that last technology jump or, or efficiency jump was patent protected. And, and in the end, the Department of Justice stopped them, not us. Hmm. So 0.3 quads is a lot more than 0.013. So how can that be bad? Well, um, 
a way that you know we were had in the back of our minds uh, that that could be a problem is when the department looks at a rule, they usually have three or four tiers of potential higher standards, and the top mm. tier is always called maximum technologically feasible or max tech. Now, if max tech, which is usually very painful for industry because then you're driving out every performance feature purely chasing energy efficiency, it can make products very expensive. Now, if max tech was 0.31 quads, the DOE would be obliged to push max tech. So talk a little bit more about max tech and, and why that's bad. Well, our biggest concern with max tech is basically you've used every technological option regarding efficiency to achieve conformance to standards. But in the process, often what happens is consumer demanded features, form, fit, and function get weeded out mm -hmm. because every little nice thing you want to give a, the consumer sometimes comes at a cost of energy. And so products start to become, when they're purely chasing efficiency, it's a lot like a commoditized product that's purely chasing the lowest first cost, you know, the lowest sale price on mm -hmm. the shelf. And when that happens, you, you lose the the uh, the competition between manufacturers to offer features and different features than their competitors, and the competition sort of starts to evaporate, and everybody just goes for the cheapest product, uh, and you know then it goes offshore, gets mass produced, and they start to lose their their appeal. Interesting. I, I guess I can see that downside. So. Sernima so fights to maintain that manufacturing flexibility and avoid max tech um, for the reasons you stated. Exactly. We like to we, we fight for what we like to think of as a reasonable efficiency level that still allows NEMA members to be able to compete in the marketplace for customers based on performance, uh, price, or balance of the two, as often as not. Interesting. I guess you know we're about out of time, so let's wrap this up. The conversation obviously contained a lot of detail. Can you also provide training on this and other topics to uh, NEMA section members if they want to hear more? Absolutely. Um, I'm happy to. Um, I, I attend the meetings of sections who have products in scope of the agencies I work with, DOE and others, uh, and I give them updates then. But um, and I answer emails and telephone questions uh, routinely. But if a section would like me to just sit down with them on the on the web and give a brief about this uh, or one of these other topics of our podcasts, uh, I'm happy to do that. Great. So moving on, what is the next podcast about? Well, I thought we'd talk about the California Energy Commission's uh, energy efficiency regulations. Oh, well, we look forward to that. And on behalf of myself and those listening, Thank you for talking about the DOE and its Energy Conservation Standards Program, Alex. You're very welcome.